Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Catherine Johnson. Catherine is a science writer and the author of the Indie Book Award longlisted The Better Son and Pescador's Wake. Her latest novel, Matryoshka, tells of family, loss, and seeking refuge. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I speak with an Australian writer, and together we explore their books, writing, their literary culture, and it all comes out on Final Draft in the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, the Great Conversations podcast is a way to enlarge the discussion and get behind the scenes of the book and explore the, the way it addresses pressing issues in our world. And a big thank you if you uh, have been enjoying the Great Conversations podcast, and especially if you've shared it with friends. Uh, I love that people are subscribing and rating, and it is a great way to get the word out about Australian writing. So hit subscribe, give us a rating, or just physically tell a friend about the Great Conversations podcast, especially if they're a reader. Maybe tell them in a bookstore. (laughs) Um, and look, if you uh, if you do subscribe, it means you get a new episode every week. So I love producing these, and thank you for listening. In Matryoshka, Sarah Basova has returned to her family home at the foot of Mount Wellington, following the death of her grandmother Nina. Nina Basova raised Sarah as her own, following the teenage pregnancy of Sarah's mother Helena. Now, a chance meeting with Abdul, an Afghan refugee, sees Sarah reevaluating her ties to family as she seeks to forgive her mother and finally discover the identity of her father. This is Final Draft. You're on 2SER 107.3. My name is Andrew Popel, and I, uh, it's my great pleasure to share a book that I've really enjoyed. Catherine Johnson is an author and science writer. Her books include the Indie Book Award longlisted The Better Son and Pescador's Wake. Her latest novel, Matryoshka, is a story of family, loss and secrets. Sarah Basova has returned to her family home at the foot of Mount Wellington following the death of her grandmother. Nina Basova raised Sarah as her own following the teenage pregnancy of Sarah's mother, Helena. A chance meeting with Abdul, an Afghani refugee, has Sarah re-evaluating her ties to family and she seeks to forgive her mother and finally discover the identity of her father. Now, Catherine is joining me on the line from Tasmania. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Andrew, and thank you for that introduction. That's that's, uh, a very good summation of the book. Thank you. (laughs) There is so much happening in this book. I I wrote a few different ideas around what I wanted wanted people to know, but it struck me as, as I was thinking about Matryoshka, family, family is at the heart. But it's a concept that has so many iterations. So Sarah is watching her own family sort of dissolve following the departure of her husband. He's left her. They're living in in Queensland. But she's never really had this nuclear vision of family. She was raised by her grandmother, but she thought of her as her mother till about the age 12. And then there's this contrast where we have Abdul, who's somehow able to endure the painful separation of of oceans and uh, war and violence to still have this this relationship with his family in Afghanistan. Then the main vision of this sort of suburban middle-class family is the really strained relationship of Sarah's boss, Dale, and uh, her friend, Claire. If we can take your analogy of the matryoshka, and I feel like this is going to happen a bit, do you think we as a society, do we ignore the layers of family connection for this sort of particularly shallow veneer of normalcy? Well, that's a good question. So, so matryoshka, I probably should explain too, matryoshka is the Russian word for the Russian doll, so the, all the layers of, mm. of um, 
particularly the maternal line that that are around us and then the, the next generations that follow. And family is really central to the book and particularly the feeling of, of belonging and identity and and the fear of abandonment, really. Um, Sarah felt that she was abandoned by her own mother, Helena, when she was young and raised by her, her grandmother, Nina, and never understood why her mother abandoned her. So she's fiercely protective of her own daughter, Ellie, and doesn't want her to experience the same the same feelings. So so that sense of protection and layers of, of family are, are very important to her. So when her grandmother Nina dies, she, she feels quite quite at sea because she was her, her rock and her her connection to to her history really. But she she does have a very estranged estranged relationship with her with her own mother, and so meeting Abdul, who has, who's forcibly separated from his family, mm. and seeing what he is enduring, and seeing how much he would love to be with his family, really makes Sarah stop and pause and think she she's actually missing out on on other connections, other layers in her family that that, that perhaps she should she should try and try and pursue and make peace with. So so yes, there's all sorts of layers of of belonging and and history that come into the story, and as you say, there's the story of of her her boss in Tasmania. Sarah's a geneticist, and she she has a boss in Tasmania who who doesn't I think appreciate the family that he has, and and doesn't treat them as respectfully as as he might. So there are contrasts in the book that set set um, different families off against each other, and and make Sarah really think about what's important to her. And um... And I don't mean to pick on on the relationship of Dale and Claire, but they they really represent, I guess, an idea of of family that we still see so dominant in the media, despite despite shifting visions of of who we are as a society. This idea of um, a, a male breadwinner, and then his his wife, who had um, and I particularly loved this because I'm a speech pathologist as well. Claire's a oh, speech right. pathologist. Um, but she's given up her career because because Dale's sort of, um, I don't know. I guess what would we say? He's he's the power power breadwinner sort of academic, mm. and theirs is a very sort of veneer of happiness, but a, a strain underneath. And yet they they are this dominant conception, and I like the way you sort of paralleled them. Yes, I think I think it's a challenge still, isn't it, in society to try and to try and uh, manage career and family and have some some sort of um, equity in how that's how that's done. And the choices that people make can be judged either way if people choose to keep working full time or not. So there are, there are those those um, work life challenges that I think are really ever present for people people still. Um, so yes, I mean that's. That's right. That's that's well spotted, and and but even in the day of uh, so Nina came out after World War Two as a as a, a refugee after the Second World mm-hmm. War, and her husband is working up in the hydro, and she's up there for some time, but ends up coming down to Hobart for her her daughter's education, which is she sees as very important to her own liberation and, and freedom. Um, so there, so I think these, the challenges. Uh, uh, ongoing, certainly not just not just now, and the way people navigate their way through those those challenges and and 
maintain positive relationships relationships with their partners um, is it's it can be a unique story for every every family. I think mm, you had um you had me thinking particularly of Annabelle Crabb's really fabulous book, The Wife Drought, and and that conception of of people needing that support system and and then the different ways that it's shared. But you've You've mentioned there Nina's Nina's migration, and very much Nina's migration to Australia in that post-war period is juxtaposed with Abdul's and that of the the Hazara community in, uh, in that, that sort of becomes a part of Sarah's life, and the shared experiences of suspicion and of being ostracised, even abused, by this dominant community link the histories. So, so as a friendship between Sarah and Abdul develops. She finds herself, Sarah constantly finds herself second-guessing her efforts, the impact that her contribution might have in the face of this sort of intractable system. Did you find yourself hopeful as you were developing these stories? I did. So so I have a friend who's an Afghani asylum seeker who's been um, deemed a refugee, and and it was a really chance encounter that I had with him, um, and and then it, that that story wove its way into into Matryoshka with with his permission, because it's a perfect um, story to to follow Nina's story that that wave of immigration of refugees after World War Two and then the and the current um, group of people who are coming also seeking refuge. So I met this man completely by chance. I was dropping my son off at a a saxophone lesson and as I was dropping him off the the door beside me opened and this man was coming out and so there were townhouses side by side and I'd recently seen the film Mary Meets Muhammad um, which is about Hazara people in Hobart and I recognised this man because his features are quite distinctive or the Hazara features are quite distinctive which is of course what puts people at risk in their own country. So we, we we began a conversation, and it he really revealed his life story there on the footpath with my daughter standing there and and me listening, and uh, and then he invited us inside and we had tea and there were three other men inside who were also refugees and it was a it was an incredible um, situation a, a very unexpected situation where here we were in in Tasmania being welcomed into a, a house of strangers who who were seeking asylum here. And we began a friendship each each week as my son had his class. We we would have tea and we had stories and we had some English lessons and and we just struck up a lovely friendship. Um, and I was always ever hopeful that his uh, story was going to end well here and he was certainly, his his claims um, about, I think it's about five, five or six years later now, have been... Um, shown to be true he is he is a refugee um but it's been a very torrid process for him and and seeing that firsthand um really really brought that home and and i think that that experience is reflected in sarah's meeting of abdul my story is fictionalized but she she encounters what it might be like for somebody entering the country on those terms and thinks back for the first time what it must have been like for her grandmother when she came to Tasmania. And so what parallels did you find in the interse- intersection of your narrative of the immigrant experience and, and those of 
being a woman. Um, so Nina in particular, she um, she finds, and this is when she moves down from the hydro, uh, particularly to Hobart, that <clears throat> she's not valued in the community because she's perceived as, as having little worth. She's not working on the scheme and, and is perhaps even a threat um, to, uh, the, I don't know, the virtue of other women's husbands, I think, is, is mentioned at one point. Yes, yeah, so she she doesn't feel welcome, and she expects she expects things to be as they might have been at home, and she expects people to offer her meals, or she expects to for there to be some kind of some kind of welcome which isn't forthcoming. And she is seen she's viewed with suspicion, and from, with, as a Russian person, also also as a woman, and the the closed mindedness of people who who I think really are operating out of fear rather than. Um, anything else, fear and ignorance, and and it's that idea that until you have a um, a, a personal ex- personal experience and manage to have that human face, you you sometimes are reacting out of fear and ignorance and and don't even know it. So I think very often, as in that case of the film Mary Meets Muhammad, the documentary, which uh, shows shows how people once they do meet others. That the the idea of them being others is so reduced, and and friendships form, and and those those barriers that may have been there disappear. But Nina's experience, and of course, it wasn't the same for everybody who who came, and she brought her own her own concerns with her as well. So perhaps she she might have done more when she arrived than she did as well. Um, the experiences can be quite different for different people, as as they are in the book. There's, there are other characters who had a different experience, but hers hers wasn't hers wasn't positive, and that that experience of being not welcomed and and feeling that there's fear around her being there, I think, is what breeds secrets and it breeds lies, and and it can be destructive for for children and grandchildren, and, and instead where you could have a positive, a welcoming experience, and 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 people people become part of a community in, in a much much uh, healthier way, in much more productive way, and become productive citizens in a able to express themselves as, as they as they want to, and without having to feel so um, shut down. Do you think there are elements of Nina's experience that were particular to her being a woman? She was a woman on her own. Her husband was working up on the, the hydro. And I also note, noted that um, Sarah very much experienced, so with her ex, he was always presumptive that she would be able to drop everything, that somehow her job was less important. And then when she she gets a new job, she's she's queried as to whether her work is, her, her research proposal is her own, like somehow... She can't have have come up with it on herself. Is there is there something still of of being a woman that you are are ostracised and presumed upon in a way that a man in the same experience wouldn't be? Oh, I think that's that's definitely the case, and I think um, that can be the case in fields like science. Um, hopefully, not not frequently, but it certainly can be, and that was the case for Sarah, where she she was putting a proposal together that was very valid but that she was being, well, because her boss happens to be the sort of personality that he is and quite old-fashioned, didn't didn't necessarily believe that she she was responsible for the proposal she had put forward. And Nina probably had fewer options when she arrived in the, in the after the Second World War. 
she carved a, a way for herself to have her career and she needed to have a career. So she would have boarders, the house who were um, sometimes people from her community and she would uh, she made dresses and was a was an amazing seamstress and made a seam a, a wedding dress for the governor's daughter and and she, she she found her way to be an independent woman and she was determined to make sure that her daughter Helena, who was Sarah's mum, had a good education and and had those choices. So Sarah becomes a doctor and a very um, a, a leading doctor in her field in in heart surgery in Sydney. So so there is that idea uh, very evident in the book that that women do have to sometimes fight for the 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 right to have the careers that they want to have and have the independence that they want to have and and not not have it presumed that they can um, have an easier ride than their than their partners necessarily mm-hmm. in terms of being able to just uh, be very flexible i think that needs to needs to extend to to, to both genders now you've mentioned secrets and woven throughout all of the relationships is a mystery, and and the thing that I found most brilliant about your storytelling is that it's a, it's a mystery that's actually no mystery at all because each of the characters holds a piece of the puzzle that is Sarah's paternity, and it's actually their failure to open up, to communicate, and to trust that sees it shrouded. And I wondered, what price do you feel we pay for secrets, and and why do you think we make this choice? I'm particularly interested in the choice that Helena made to. I guess not explore further, and there's obviously a lot of a lot of trauma behind this, and we there are things that we won't reveal for for re, for those yet to read. But what price do we pay for secrets? Yes, yeah, so secrets keep appearing in my books. They appeared too in um, in Pescador's Wake, my first book, and in The Better Sun as well. And they seem to they seem to keep recurring in in the stories that I write, and I think they are intriguing. And I think the reasons behind them, as you say, are really intriguing what what motivates people to keep keep secrets and I think sometimes I start Matryoshka talking about the idea that we tell our children and our grandchildren the stories that we want them to remember we want we tell tell them the stories about themselves that we want them to know and I think there's a bit of that in 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 why secrets are kept we don't want to burden the next generation with with stories of the past and and I think there's I mean, there is something to be said for that, and it's a very tricky, tricky decision. I think what whether everything is told or whether everything isn't told. But I think in hiding big secrets, the, the price of that is that the the people who are who are having the secrets kept from them don't have a full understanding of of uh, the, the the secret keeper, if you like. So they they view this person um, and try to figure them out. And can't really get to the bottom of why they are the way they are, because they don't have the full picture. And I think people would be more forgiving of each other if they understood why they are the way they are. And and so that, I think that probably is why in in people learning the truth about someone, they they sometimes can resolve situations in their relationships that that arise when when those secrets have been kept. Mm. Let's close out our conversation with some of the wonderful characters you create. And I want to talk about the roles that each of the Basova women take on. And I don't, I don't want to make too much of this, but I do feel like they illuminate many of the events of your story. So we have Nina, and you've mentioned Nina was a seamstress. And it seems within 
the story and, and her role in the family. She seeks to, to cover herself in garbs and to protect, but also to hide. Then Helena, her daughter, becomes a doctor. And, and we learn that very much she strives, but also struggles to heal wounds um, within the family. Then we have Sarah. Sarah's a geneticist, and, and her quest very much becomes to unravel strands of the family story, much like the layers of the, the matryoshka doll. I want to I want to challenge you, and you know, I, I don't. I'm sure you probably um, aren't writing a sequel, but what would you then say would be the role that you would paint for Sarah's daughter Ellie, thinking about this and the way their their roles seem to mirror their their relationships in the family? You read the book so clear, so carefully, and um, and thoroughly, Andrew. I really, I thank you for doing that because it's it's. Um, it's a it's a real compliment, and it's lovely to be able to talk to someone who's who's thought about it so so carefully. I think I think Sarah Sarah's also concerned about what what's passed on to the next generation, and in her role as a geneticist, she she learns about epigenetics, which is the idea that we can inherit our our parents and grandparents' histories effectively. So the environmental change that happens not to the genes themselves, but around the outside of genes, it seems can be can be passed from generation to generation, which can be a confronting idea, but I think in some ways maybe it's positive too that if the environment is right, healing can happen. So I think that, I think for Ellie, who in a, in a way, I guess if you extend the meta- metaphor, is the smallest of the, of the matryoshka dolls, maybe she's the one that doesn't have a secret. Maybe she's the one that knows her, knows her history and is at peace somehow with her history mm. and the work that's gone before her in terms of healing and is, and is provided with an environment where she can, she can properly assimilate her, her past and, and, and carry it with a, with a bit, more, bit more peace and a bit more knowledge and a bit more wisdom going forward, hopefully, um, without, without so much fear. And, and hopefully that would create openness in terms of uh, perhaps not repeating some of the mistakes of the past that that have have plagued the women in her family, but will allow a more positive and optimistic future. She can turn her eye outward, as it were, and perhaps perhaps the healing that she does will be will be broader. As much as as much as Helena and um, and Sarah particularly are doing work that reverberates out through the world, um, perhaps Ellie can take that to the, to another level. <laughs> Yes, that's right. I think that's right. If, if people can, if people can heal themselves, they can. They can look outward. That's it for this great conversation with Catherine Johnson. Catherine's new novel, Matryoshka, is out now through Ventura Press. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at Two SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you're enjoying Great Conversations from Final Draft, hit subscribe in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and receive a new episode delivered straight to your phone every week. Don't forget you can share this podcast by giving it a rating, by, uh, by giving it, like sharing it on Facebook or, uh, or just telling your friends, maybe pulling their phone out of their hands and just, just hit and subscribe for them so that they can get new books every week. Uh, To keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture, you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. The uh, handle to look for is at Final Draft 2SER. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. See you then.